Welcome to the Salty Carmel Podcast from Our Lady of Mount Carmel. This is a brand new podcast where we are going to spread evangelization stories to the ends of the earth from normal parishioners like yourselves. I'm David Cook, the Stewardship Director from Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and my co-host is the unforgettable Jody Curtis. Our guest today is Tim Fletcher, who's married to Tina Fletcher. He's worked at Our Lady of Mount Carmel since 2006. He has six kids, 18 is the oldest, and how's the youngest, five? Yeah, so Stella, who rules the home, <laughs> of is course. Uh, five years old, going to be in kindergarten next year. Yep, not okay. spoiled at all. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim has a fantastic life, and so he's here to tell us about his fantastic life. So, Tim, right off the gate, what was your life like before Christ? Well, when it wasn't so fantastic. <laughs> so I will Hopefully. agree. I do have a fantastic life. And I'll just begin by thanking you for having me on the show. And just to share a small piece of my life, because I am so blessed, so grateful to be part of the community here at Our Lady Mount Carmel, not just as an employee, but someone who worships every week with everyone who attends Our Lady Mount Carmel, sends my kids to the school, sending my kids on to the Catholic high school, playing sports, doing music, doing choir. It's an amazing place. I will affirm that. So going going backwards to life before Christ. Well, thankfully, that was a long time ago, but I'll give you a little context. I grew up a cradle Catholic. My mother was a practicing Catholic. My father was the I'll go to Mass dad. He didn't become Catholic until much later in life, but was a wonderful example, always at Mass. And our, and our Catholicity really came from my grandfather, who immigrated here from Lebanon. His father immigrated and landed in the New Hampshire area. And they found a Roman Catholic church, and here we are in the United States, Catholics. And so that's kind of the history back there. And uh, But we did. I grew up Catholic, went to Mass. But it wasn't, it wasn't like it is today. I went to Mass and didn't want to go to Mass. Probably a, a typical experience you might have of one of your own children, mm-hmm. where you're in Mass and you're waiting for the homily to get over, and then you're waiting for the next step, and then you're waiting for the uh, last song. I, I counted songs as a kid. I was like, four songs, Dad, it's the last one. It's the last yeah. one. Yeah, so... Uh, But I will say I had a great foundation. I had loving parents. The faith was important to us as a family. But I didn't really think that way. And and when I kind of think about life before Christ, I think about like an identity crisis. And I think that can be relatable to today where we're having a lot of identity crisis in the culture where I was known as like the sports kid. Or I was known as a kid who loves to do this or do do that. And and that's how I identified as myself. You know, I'm a Fletcher. My dad is this. My mom is this. And I love to play baseball or basketball. I was a sports kid. So I played whatever was going on during that time of the year. And I probably would have answered a Catholic as last, you know, where maybe in, in the early years it was just, yeah, sure, my parents are Catholic, so I'm Catholic instead of really taking ownership. And I'm guessing that's pretty typical of a lot of kids to do that, which I'm trying to reverse with my own children to make that more intentional now. But that was life before Christ. And I can remember even going into high school, going into college. If you think about back when, if you entered college, you identify as your major. It's like this funny phenomenon that happens where you meet all these new people, right? I went to Purdue in every question, every class, every fraternity gathering, every dance, every game I went to, 
oh, hi, I'm Tim, I'm from Tipton, and I'm an elementary education major. I mean, that's kind of who you identify as. And church was like, okay, I got to get to mass because I don't want to disappoint my mom. Right. You know, um, I knew it was important. I, I, I had a great belief, I believe. Um, I kept going. Confession saved my faith through going through college where I, I tried to go once a month and somehow by the grace of God, I made it. <laughs> uh, and I think that kept me going. And then, of course, my wife, you know, we, we dated through college and she was not Catholic. Uh, her family was actually would be considered kind of anti-Catholic. And so she grew up with no faith. Uh, and then she went through the RCIA program in college. And my mother was her sponsor. And so it kind of like started to change, right? Where I'm not just Tim, I'm a boilermaker, I love basketball, I'm a pike, I'm, you know, all these things that that you identify as where now I could see that I was becoming an adult. I started to understand a little bit better. And it was really through my wife and then my mother. And, And unfortunately, but fortunately, like my mother passed away halfway through RCIA with her. And I was asked to step in as her sponsor. So it was awkward and weird and kind of strange, but what a gift that I was able to go back to the church, relearn all the things that I forgot about. Back then it was Sunday school. And so I was able to kind of reconnect in a new way in my really early 20s. I was about 20 years old. Would you say going through RCIA was your your concrete moment to come back? Well, I think it was the beginning. I was filling in and I, I probably wasn't as intentional because I was confused. Like my mom just died. Somebody has to step in. (laughs) I think I was the only other Catholic Tina knew. (laughs) Um, We were dating. So that was interesting. But, you know, and I could tell a lot of stories about my mom, you know, being a a concrete person for Tina coming into the faith. It wasn't me. (laughs) Wow. Interesting. Um, And so uh, as that progressed, then it really started to make sense. We started taking a little bit more serious. We knew we wanted to be married in the Catholic Church. We knew we wanted to raise our kids to be Catholic. Uh, That was important to us. But again, not completely practicing consistently, and God was not at that first question, like, who am I? You know, we're still struggling with that, even as we got married. Um, So I can tell you, kind of coming up to that concrete moment, to think about that, um, it was really kind of finding a home uh, church. You know, you get married— we lived in a tiny little town of Tipton. We were going to Mass at the same church I was baptized in, St. John the Baptist. Got married at St. John the Baptist. But it's just an older community. And so when you're 22 years old and you show up at Mass and there's you know, nobody your age there, you feel a little disconnected. And so we, we were praying about this, like, what are we going to do? And I can remember I was visiting my brother. So my brother's a priest. He lives in New York City. He's a Franciscan friar. So I would spend long weekends there once a year and live as a friar, and that was very instrumental to me. Uh-huh. And so I, was, I remember being there, and we were kind of you know, talking about these things, and we decided to go to the Met, so the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. And we were just going through because it was something to do. You know, My brother and I were hanging out, and I came across this giant image of St. Joan of Arc. And, she, and the, the image is probably six feet wide, 15 feet tall. I mean, it's a massive wall at the Met there. And I just remember sitting down in front of that image and thinking, oh my gosh, like what a beautiful image of our Catholic faith. Our faith. And she was having this image of like her guardian angel, St. Michael the Archangel was there. And so it's this really complex kind of imagery that, that just kind of makes you think about the faith a little deeper. And so as soon as I got home, Tina came up to me and some conversation started and she said, well, what do you think about going to St. Joan of Arc in Kokomo? 
Oh, wow. And so we, as a couple, made a decision that we would try this church out, you know, to do that, and immediately fell in love. We both went Christ Renews His Parish at St. Joan of Arc, ended up being the lay directors there and getting very involved. And so that was a, a defining moment as a young adult starting to think about I'm identifying as a Catholic. And then now I have a profession, right? So my vocation is to be a Catholic to be practicing, to pass that on to my children, to get my wife to heaven. And now I'm starting to understand a little bit deeper about how important that is. And then, sure, I'm a teacher, but that's not, you know, I don't identify as that primarily to do that. So that was, that was a big moment. And so I was just in New York City last weekend. I took my son out to live as a friar for a, f- for a weekend. And I said, we're going to the Met. And so we went to the Met and, you know, I took him over to the image and I didn't. So it's still there. It's still there. Oh, Um, I love it. And we just sat down in front of it. And I said, I just want you to look at this for a few minutes and just kind of left it at that, you know. And so kind of neat to share that moment with him. And he doesn't know the whole backstory yet. I mean, he may listen to this (laughs) and and know it. Um, But but it was some a neat moment to kind of go full circle to do that. So that was one moment in my young adulthood that kind of helped me kind of get over the hump to get to, to know Jesus a little bit better and to take it a little bit more serious and start to identify in that way. One question I would have for you is you mentioned a lot about having a false identity as a kid, sports kid, elementary ed, always being labeled as that kind of identity. When you went to Chirp and discovered your Catholicity, was it like a, a fast stripping of other identities or did you have to slowly weed those out. Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I think with me especially, change is slow. Mm -hmm. I really believe in the uh, just take one small step. And so if I think about where I am today, it it just doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one grand moment, or I don't usually get hit in the head with something and wake up with a different identity. But it's just saying these little yeses, like saying, hey, yes, let's go check out St. Joan of Arc. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to New York City, even though it was hard to do. We had four kids in six years. It's hard to do, right? So just these little yeses, these little sacrifices that you have to make along your journey, and then it just leads to bigger and better things. So, yeah, it, just, it takes time. And I'm still learning today. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's a process that I'm sure will never end. Yeah. <laughs> and, Tim, what is your life like in Christ now? Well, I'd love to say that it was it's it's so joyful, but there's ups and downs even today. I have a, a deeper relationship with Christ, mainly because of these small little yeses throughout my life. But you know, I just I have a, a solid foundation now. Like I start to understand. I'm, I mentioned like in some of my things preparing for this is just like the study. I love to study. With my strength finders, I'm a learner. You know, that's my number one. And so I've spent the last few years just studying a lot about the church. And I'm no scholar. I'm no Bible scholar. I can't quote a bunch of Bible verses to you and connect the dots and make the, make the theology behind all of it. But I, I love to study. I love to read. I'm into virtues right now. And just like these little yeses, like, okay, Lord, just coming to work at Our Lady Mount Carmel was a weird little yes. You know, I mean, I was a public school teacher for five years. In my fifth year... I got called to the principal's office, and, and now it's funny because I kind of teachers get called to the principal yes, too. They do. they do. Nobody wants that. I can. I recognize that. So when I call a teacher to my office now, I'm like, nobody's in trouble. You know, I immediately start with that. But I, you know, I got called down to the principal's office, and I knew the principal fairly well. She was a good lady, um, and she reprimanded me for for teaching Catholic themes in the public school. 
And I remember thinking, like, kind of laughing about it because I was in a pretty good place at that time. And I was like, oh, yeah, I am. Uh. <laughs> and uh, she's like, well, you can't do that. And I said, well, we'll see. And, um, and we had a good enough relationship where she, she trusted me and I, and I knew what, what was happening. And, and I'm, so I went back to my room and I was thinking, okay, what exactly is she talking about? Like, what did I do here? Yeah. Then I looked back at my lesson plans and I had taught a lesson about St. Juan Diego. <laughs> and I had an image oh, of... Oh, that was it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And I had, a, I had a bulletin board out in the hallway of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Oh. <laughs> I wonder what it could be. Yeah. No, nothing real obvious. <laughs> yeah, nothing too obvious. So, you know, it's, it's just like that small transition, right? Like I started to learn about my faith. I was taking a little bit more serious. And it became important to me. And I recognized that as a teacher, I have to teach the truth. And so in the historical perspective of what we were actually teaching, this was actually in the book. There was a very, like one sentence mentioned about this bishop in St. Juan Diego. And so I spent three weeks teaching it oh. yeah, to do that. Love so, you know, that, that was a very interesting precursor to that summer where, again, I was with my brother and we went to Medjugorje. And so it's just a little village, and this is not church-sanctioned, but it's a little village where some apparitions uh, supposedly are happening. And so I went there and, and just spent a week praying and being a friar, following them around, riding their coattails around to do that. And I remember I had this other defining moment that's kind of leads to my adulthood is just we you, you climb this mountain called Cross Mountain, and you're praying the Stations of the Cross. And it's not easy to do. I mean, there's no handrail. Like, you're climbing the rocks. There are people doing this barefoot. You know, I'm wimping out and have my Nikes on. And you're praying, and you get to the top, and it's just a beautiful scene. Like, you're looking over the entire village. There's a massive, like, 60-foot cross up there. That's why it's called Cross Mountain to do that. And I can remember having, like, my first serious conversation with God and saying, all right, Lord, I'm an adult. I'm married. I have kids. I love teaching. But what's the deal? Like, what do you really want me to do? And I made this, this commitment just in my head, not proclaiming it from the mountain, but just in my head, like, if you make it really clear, I'll do it, you know, like a little a deal, right? Like, of course. But I, but I always pray, like, it has to be clear because I'm too dense to, like, figure it out on my own. So just lay it out there, and I'll say yes. And I shared that with just another pilgrim on the way down the mountain. It was just this lady I didn't even know. You know, she's like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, pretty good. I just said to God that I'll do whatever he asked me to do. Aww. And she was like, oh, God bless you and this and that. And I'm like, okay, we'll see where this leads. Uh, and like within two weeks of arriving home, a series of crazy events happened and I was hired at Our Lady Mount Carmel. And so I left the public school, which I loved, and it was a great place. But I was being called elsewhere and started working at Our Lady Mount Carmel. So that's how I landed at Our Lady Mount Carmel and then you know, the rest is history here. Yeah. Nice. Wow. Well, we're lucky to have you at yeah. our parish, Tim, exactly. and at our, at our school as well. Tim, what are you most grateful for? Well, well, I'm grateful for a lot of things. I think, you know, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I'm just grateful for our Catholic community. That is being crazy. able, Being able to, well, you know, it's like I work there, and now I'm saying this is what I'm grateful for. Okay. But... Um, <laughs> Being able to raise my children there, I've, I've made some just lifelong friendships. People who have drawn me closer to Christ have pushed me, held me accountable to those things, and that's what I needed in my life. 
you know, we, you know, I often will tell people, you know, this is the greatest place on earth, but it's sometimes the hardest place to work because you are called to a higher responsibility or, you know, and it's, then it's, you have somebody like Father Richard saying, well, now you need to go evangelize. And like, that's an even harder task to, to follow through. But what a gift our community has been to my family, you know, and so that's what I'm most grateful for today. Nice. Thank you. And during your story, you talk a lot about your transition to being actual Catholic, having that be your main identity, and listening to God. But today, how how do you stay salty? How do you continue to be a good disciple? Sure. Well, it takes a lot of hard work. I think for me, it's taking time to understand, like, what are the opportunities out there? For example, I think it was a couple sessions ago, I did Exodus 90. And so it's like... Hey, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Who would really ever want to do this? Uh, but it's a challenge. And I knew that the challenge was good because the end result is that you're closer to Christ. You're studying the Bible. You're having some good fraternity with, pe- with friends and people of you know, like-mindedness and such. So it's important just to find those opportunities and then be willing to say yes. You know, even though it's hard, even though it takes extra time, everyone's busy, but we're, you know, nobody outgives God. You know, and so we can't, you know, we just have to do our small part. So I just try to continue that small yes, like, okay, I'll do that. Okay, I'll do that. Sometimes you can say yes too much and you get overwhelmed. You have to be careful of that. But when things like Exodus 90 or other things like doing a book club with a friend or, you know, being part of a, of a small group or being part of a podcast or whatever it is, you just have to say yes and trust that the Lord will give you the words, give you the right things to do. And that's how you stay salty, you know, to keep working at it. And it, and it for me, it's like, I love to study. I love to learn. I want to learn something new every day. That's why I love the school, because it's all about learning every day. Exactly. And that's important to, to keep your mind sharp, to keep you going in that direction. Because if, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. You know, I kind of live that way. And so we got to keep growing. Yeah. yeah. And Tim, you've, you've mentioned your wife, Tina, your mom, your brother, who's a priest. Who are the greatest influencers of your faith life? Yeah. You know, I've had wonderful living examples at, at the different stages of my life. So I would say, you know, my parents were really instrumental and growing up, especially my mother in the Catholic faith. My father in a lot of other areas, great provider, loving father, always there for me, you know. But on the Catholic side, my mother was always there, you know, dying early in life. She was a great example of how to, you know, to really embrace suffering, you know. So, it was a, you know, I didn't know it at the time going through it, but when I look back, it was a great example. And, you know, there was one other that hasn't been mentioned, it's my grandfather. So my grandfather, who was Catholic from New Hampshire that brought us to Indiana, was quite the character, always joking and having fun. And he was a great servant. He was able to retire early. And as soon as he retired, he started Habitat for Humanity in Tipton County. And so I would spend pretty much weekends, summer, summer breaks, building homes with him and just watching him serve the poor. And I could tell hundreds of stories about my grandfather putting me in wild situations where I would learn humility and discipline and trust. Mm-hmm. But he was a great influencer. And Tina and I actually lived with him our first year. So when we got married and I was finishing up school, we lived with him and he helped hold our firstborn genie as we were getting ready for work and getting ready for school. Oh, nice. uh, so he was a great example of somebody who really passed the faith down. Mm-hmm. I can remember coming down the stairs in the early mornings and he would be on his knees praying the rosary. Oh. 
I was like, what an, what an amazing example. And he's part of that greatest generation. Right. Uh, so he fulfilled that description. Well, Tim, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and our listeners today. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time that you spent with me. Yeah. Let's end with a prayer. God, our Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, I might hear the call of the new evangelization to deepen my faith, grow in confidence to proclaim the gospel, and boldly witness to the saving grace of your Son, Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening today. And stay salty. <laughs> <laughs>